I think, I think a lot of it stems down to the cruise directors. If you've got a really good cruise director with you and they really care about the passengers and the shows that you're putting on and the quality of the shows, they, it kind of instills in you that we, we always put a show on, it always goes up, regardless of what we have to do during the day or during the night to make it happen. It happens, you know. All the shows I've worked on have all been projection and it's been the right choice. Um, we're doing, you know, I've got some corporate installations that are going at the minute in Saudi Arabia that I'm working with a few companies with, and there is tons and tons of LED wall, and it's perfectly placed in all the right places. And then you turn around and there's these, you know, almost like magic flying sheets that they've got, and we're projecting onto them. You've got to get yourself through, right? It's one of those, I will, I will keep this emotion inside of me until I get to the end of the show. And then I'll go away and do whatever I need to do. Scream into a corridor, quick toilet trip, and everybody's like, oh, he's had a bad show. As soon as you walk past. Welcome to the Theatre Art Life podcast. Today, we're talking with Steve Critchley. Working in the industry for nearly 20 years, Steve has seen many sectors in the entertainment and audiovisual space. Every sector has been used to grow and hone a wide variety of skills that have been used to on world-class shows and events around the globe. Starting in the corporate world, this then pushed Steve to travel on cruise ships for a number of years after a five-year stint in London. Growing yet more corporate businesses, Steve settled in Dubai working for Franco Dragone at La Pearl. After leaving, he went on to build Regis' largest immersive venue and now owns his own business with a focus on lighting, video and special effects. Steve, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. It's an absolute honour to be here. We have, as we just discussed offline, know a lot of the same people, but we've never actually worked directly together yet. <laughs> Not yet. Fingers crossed in the very near future that can happen, though, because it sounds fantastic. Absolutely. Now, I read um, somewhere, was it on your LinkedIn profile, you're a golden visa holder. I am, yes. That was uh, an interesting experience getting that. Tell us about how does one become a golden visa holder? <laughs> well, it's really interesting because normally you've got to do huge investments of millions of dirhams out here in Dubai, um, or you've got to have degrees um, or get paid tons and tons of money. Um, and when I left Infinity de Lumiere, uh, I was doing a project and I thought, let me just see where we can go with this. Um, and Dubai Arts and Culture can give you a cultural visa. Um, if you get the cultural visa from them, you can then apply for this golden visa, which is a, a 10 year life or a 10 year visa, but it's a lifelong visa because it self renews after 10 years. So um, I got everything together, did my CV, got my cultural CV together and applied. And then 35 days later or so, uh, I got an email saying you've been accepted for the cultural visa, um, which for me was mega. I don't have a degree in this industry. Um, so going down that route was couldn't, just couldn't be done. Um, went and applied for a golden visa. That was a whole process. You've got to go for interviews and see people and there's lots of box ticking. Um, and yeah. then, yeah, a couple of, week, couple of weeks later, there's your golden visa. And it was it was one of those moments of sitting back and just going, great, I don't need sponsorship while I'm in the UAE. Uh, now what do I do? <laughs> what direction do we take? Um, yeah, the business was spawned off the back of that pretty much. Amazing. That's such a unique thing to get because I think you're probably the only person I've actually met that has one. So that's a, it's quite an achievement. Yeah, big time. And I know a few people that have tried to get them out here um, that have done even bigger and better things than I've been doing. 
Um, and I've, I've either been blessed or I've just been in the right place at the right time. But yeah, yeah. very, very exciting. And so tell us about your company in the UAE. So you, this was, did you always want to open up a company and this just happened to be the right time because you got the visa or what was the impetus for that? Um, I mean, I, let's be honest, I came to Dubai for two years to work for Frank Rodrigoron, who I'd never heard of. And then I realized he's <laughs> is, is this absolute rock star inside of the circus and you know immersive show specs. Two-year contract was the plan. Come out, train the people, leave again. And I'm like, yeah, okay, we can do that. You know, we would, me and my wife were just about to get married at the time. Um, and I said to her, hey, do you want to go? And she went, yeah, both having bad days at work. And three or four months later, we're in Dubai. Um, stayed at La Pearl for five, four or five years. Um, then moved and then COVID happened and naturally was a global problem. Um, mm-hmm. We got La Pearl back open. You know, the first show to reopen after the pandemic, which was a mission. Very rewarding to be able to do that with a team that we had, uh, and you know, get get entertainment going again was was quite mm. incredible for us to do. Um, went on and did a few other bits, and then it was one of those. Oh, I was working with dolphins, so I got an opportunity to go and work at SeaWorld and produce the presentations right. um, at SeaWorld Abu Dhabi. And they say you know you don't work with animals or children. Um, after I'd done SeaWorld, I then worked with children, and I can agree. Don't work with animals or children. It was a nightmare. <laughs> um, hugely rewarding, to be fair. Um, but yeah, it was one of those moments of just like, what do I do with my life? Um, we've settled in Dubai. We like the UAE. Uh, the GCC is a really great space to be, and it's definitely growing in terms of what we do as an industry. You know, theater, <laughs> entertainment, um, social events are getting bigger and bigger across the GCC and better and better. So it was one of those moments of going, let's just, let's do it. You know, I don't have to worry about sponsorship or anything like that. Sat with a wife. She said, are you sure? And I said, no. Um, and the day after <laughs> set it up, um, it really was that kind of fluid. Um, but, you know, we were afforded those opportunities out here that every now and again, you get it. And it was it would have been silly of me or you know very naive of me not to at least try. Um, mm-hmm. I think I'd much rather try and fail and then go back into whatever it may be than not give it a go. I think I'd have regretted it. Um, mm-hmm. And yeah, we've we've been going 10, 12 months now, and it's it's great. You know, we're sitting in a really good place at the end of twelve months, um, and a place where I'm I'm excited for the next few years and seeing what's you know seeing where the, the market takes us really. It's amazing that, that, you know, we have this, the, a lot of people end up becoming expats unintentionally, right? So they, they, they leave for a couple of years, their country, and then, and then suddenly yeah. 10 years later, you're like, oh, we didn't get to go home. <laughs> big, big time. You know, I think the, the bit for me for that was joining cruise ships. The, uh, the contract mm-hmm. that I took on a cruise ship was a six-week six contract to cover somebody that was off on sick. And right. five years, you know, five years later, I was still there, and it was it was surreal because I don't think at any point I really stopped. Get off one ship, and I was phoned, and it was straight onto another ship, and you're mending ships, fixing shows, rebuilding shows, remounting shows on different ships, and it became almost a part of life. And then it was mm-hmm. you know, five years. I'm like, right, okay, I need to go and do something real now with my, you know, if I want to build my career, I've got to go and do something different. Um, mm-hmm. London happened, and then yeah, then Dubai very quickly followed. Um, 
So yeah, I, I would I've agree. I, yeah, yeah. I've said this before on the podcast, but um, I often find uh, those people who have worked on <laughs> cruise ships to be very resilient people and very resourceful people because when you're out in the middle of nowhere, you got to make stuff work, right? So yeah, when exactly. I've worked with them in 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 a you know in Macau or in other places. They're just they're just there's some kind of training that happens to cruise ship people. I don't know. I can't quite put my finger onto it. But it's very good. I think I think a lot of it stems down to the cruise directors. If you've got a really good cruise director with you, and they really care about the passengers and the shows that you're putting on and the quality of the shows, they, mm. it kind of instills in you that we we always put a show on. It always goes up, regardless of what we have to do during the day or during the night to make it happen. It mm. happens. You know, you don't have an endless resource of spares. So you might have a guy from telecoms will come in that deals with communications on the ship, and he's taking cell phones to bits to get capacitors out to fix a board for you in a spotlight because that's the only way that you can get the show up and running. And the, the team gels together to do that. Um, and I think drills are a big part of it as well, if I'm brutally honest. You know, you are mm, drilled drills into... Like emergency drills. Yeah, exactly. Health and safety, evacuations, dealing with it week in, week out. And it gives you a very... It becomes very stable in you know what's going to happen, but you do it immediately. You know, I remember there was one situation and the fire alarm went off at four o'clock in the morning. We'd been in the crew bar till probably two or three in the morning. So we were, we were you know, in a in a good state of merriness, shall we say. Um, and I remember that alarm going off and just immediately snapping out of it and going, right, go do this, go do this. And you finish what happens. And the, it turns out it was, a, you know, it was a false alarm. But at the end of the false alarm, you just go, oh, how, how have I ended up here? And my body's, you know, the mind's taken complete control of the body. It's completely almost subconscious the way that you, that you react because it's drilled into you. And I, I do think that that carries really well into, into our industry because you do have to have that level of discipline now. You've got to be able to know you can walk on stage and when you can't walk on stage because things could happen. Drown, mm. you know, get, getting taken out by a flyer, I'm sure is highly unpleasant. Um, set landing on you, you know, it's a, it's a dangerous space if you don't know what you're doing and you're not paying attention. Um, so I think all of that builds into it. Um, mm. And we're, we're, you know, it, it was fun hard work but it was it was a ton of fun and a ton of learning you know i i learned as you know as you mentioned in the bio at the beginning i every job i've gone into i've learned um and it was about growing skills most of the time i've blagged my way into a job and i've kind of got to then learn what i'm you know i've got to be able to proof is in the pudding right got to be able to say i've said i can do it now i've got to show i can do it um and that becomes very quick uh, to picking things up and learning things because you don't want to look stupid in front of your brand new bosses. Um, so yeah, I, I think a lot of learning is was was key to mm. to the success for that. Yeah, it's interesting. I, I think just going back to what you said about the drills and everything like that, uh, I I really love that philosophy from the cruise ships because I I'm always a big advocate of actual lots of practice when you're thinking about emergency scenarios in the the theatrical world especially we've both worked in the circus space you know the more that you rehearse that it does become in your body so so when the when the natural um uh adrenaline kicks in because something's gone wrong 
you can sit there and rely on your training rather than trying to think, you know, because it's all well and good yep. to have a nice SOP written on a piece of paper or in a computer. But unless you practice that SOP, it's not, you know, it's not, there's nothing in that sense, you know, you've got to make sure it, 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 it's, it's actually going to be active and working when you, when you need it. Exactly. Exactly. There's an emergency. One second, just let me run to my laptop. I've just got to download it so I can read it so I know what I'm doing. That, that, that's, that, that doesn't work in the environment when you've got a, you know, there's a, an artist hanging 40 meters in the sky because something's happened. You've got to yeah. have it trained and built into you so it's an immediate reaction. Um, and it does carry really well into the circus world, I think. Um, yeah. And big show world. You know, you, because you do that, you know, I you know, working at La Pearl, it was very much drummed into you. We're doing drills, we're doing drills, we're doing drills. I'm rehearsing. Um, and, you know, they call them rehearsals because it isn't life or death at the time. But it's, you've got to be prepared for that because it is a really, really dangerous space to be in. Absolutely, absolutely. So going back to the beginning for you, how did you end up in the industry in the first place? I trained as a chef. <laughs> did you really? I, I did, yes. Um, when I left school, it was very much I wanted. I didn't know where I wanted to be, whether it be light and sound and entertainment, which I'd got from my music teacher at school, um, or whether, whether I wanted to go into a kitchen. And you know, I was working in the kitchen, thirteen, fourteen. Dad forced, kind of forced me into it, or I fell into it. Um, and when I left school, it was one or the other. And the tech courses weren't there at sixteen. You had to go and do music and dance on stage, and I could think of absolutely nothing worse. Um, so I went down the culinary route, and yeah, the day I left that, I had an inter- I had an interview with a guy called Darren Howard in Manchester, um, and I went down for this interview, and I thought I knew a lot, and I walked in and sat down, and I realised really quickly I were I knew nothing. I was the greenest of the green, and he asked questions, and I could see from my responses in his eyes that I wasn't getting the response that, you know, he wasn't getting, he wasn't getting the response he wanted. You know, things like what's DMX and I've gone, Oh, it's a five pin cable. Not true. It's a fact, <laughs> but it isn't, it isn't true. Um, and we finished, finished the interview and he said, have you got anything to ask? And I said, yeah, can I go and spend the day in the warehouse with the techs? And they were, there were three or four 40 ton trucks at the back that were tipping off a festival. And he went, yeah, sure. If the guys will allow it, of course you can. And at 7, 8 o'clock at night, he came in the warehouse. And I was still in there. And I was cleaning cables. You know, I got the grunt work. Go over there, clean some cables. But while I'm doing it, I was asking the text questions. Finish. And he goes, oh, come on, you can come for a beer with us. Excellent. Sounds good. Um, Go into this pub and it's full of text. You know, it's one of those industry, industry bars. Yeah. So... He comes up after a few beers and he's like, I need you to start next week. And I was like, what? I, was like, I, failed. I failed that interview big time. And he went, I don't want, <laughs> you know, I knew full well I'd failed it. And he said, I, I can teach anybody anything if they want to learn. And that was that ultimate start to my career of going, all right, okay. So if you want to learn, you know, if you want to teach, I'm going to learn and I'm going to learn everything as quickly as possible. And at that age, soaking it up like a sponge as you do, mm-hmm. um, put the hours in, did the time took the you know the incessant bullying that happens inside of the industry when you're green and you know at the time it was just a laugh and a joke and you look back and you go you you flew my car at 17 in the rafters because you thought it was funny i had to get it down myself 
and it does it build you know it re- something it really built some character um because as you, you know you'll know better than anybody there are some big characters in our industry um and you know it means you can go up against you go toe to toe with these guys now um or girls yeah. you know as it may be you know there are some really big characters across the board um and it was yeah that that was kind of the the start of the end almost it was that was it i was hooked um just learning 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 you know i i i wanted to be a lighting designer that was my ultimate goal and he said to me don't do that learn everything while you're this young go and learn every discipline and it was the mm. best piece of advice he ever gave me um because understanding all the disciplines makes you better at your job you can anticipate when sound is late or there's an issue with a piece of scenery because scenic are struggling or automation are having a problem, you can understand it a little bit more because you have the tiniest bit of knowledge inside of that, that discipline. You don't need it all. Just a little bit really helps. Um, mm. And, you know, video kind of came about because lights were great. Projection was becoming a really big thing. And I just I remember sitting back. Um, there's a guy called Neil Trinnell that now owns uh, a, a massive group yeah. in the UK and he was a lighting designer and I was doing video by coincidence just happened to be vision mixing and he said oh I wish I'd have learned this when I was younger we got chatting and his business is very similar to what I'm setting up now um, he deals a lot with the mix mixed reality of lights and video because you could have one or the other but you can, they can also fight each other really hard and mm. I think to produce a perfect show, they need to be in tune. You know, your lighting designer and your video designer need to be on the same page. Otherwise, you're just producing a, a mess of light, effectively, that, you know, across your stage, it looks terrible. Um, so, that, again, you know, it was one of those, it was just those life lessons of going through. But, yeah, train, trained as a chef, lucky, right place, right time, worked really hard. Um, so, you know, and even to this day, you know, I find myself fighting for everything that I want to do. Um, yeah, you know, and I think that that equally makes makes you a, a stronger character, um, and I think a little bit more well rounded as well. Um, you know, being able to understand those disciplines and maybe even help. You know, sometimes you can just say those things right when somebody's struggling, and you just drop one line. They go, it might just send them off on a tangent that they're not thought about. Um, mm. So yeah, it's been. Yeah, it was a, it was an interesting start to the career. I totally, I, I totally concur, and I had a similar start in the sense that I had left university and I didn't know if I could get stage management gigs, so I just crewed everything. Like I rang nice. big lights, I ran microphone cables, I did all this stuff. But I look back on that. I built sets, you know, and I look <laughs> back on that now, and it was like really, like you said, a fundamental understanding of everybody's role and what they play. Yeah. in the thing and the fact that you know i can still use a screwdriver and a you know a, a cordless drill and i can still like um you know hammer a nail in if i need to so in it sometimes you always got to sweep the stage to get the show on at some point no matter what role you're always. in <laughs> always and anybody that will not grab that brush doesn't have a place yeah. on that stage as far as i'm concerned <laughs> absolutely absolutely or as the case may be in a recent show where our stage manager had to scoop up cat poop from the sand that was on the stage because <laughs> it was in an outdoor area and they thought it was a big litter bin. So, um, yeah, I mean, whatever it takes. <laughs> you know, w- working in this industry, especially in the Middle East, you find cats everywhere. 
especially when you're on construction sites. And cats are great until they start doing things like that on your stage. And it's like, we've just painted it, mate. Why didn't you do it 10 minutes earlier or wait at least until it was dry? (laughs) Now I've got this cat footprint everywhere. You know, it's the truth. I wanted to say, though, like... uh, um, it's interesting what you say about the lighting video combination and it's it's something that, uh, I mean, it's I, I'm always, when people put LED on a stage, it's just, it just takes up everything, right? And so, like, there is this big default, like, let's just throw some LED screens at it and it's going to be big, bright and beautiful. But yeah, it, it does, for me, sometimes um, lose the opportunity, especially if you're trying to create something quite intimate and theatrical and and you know the balance between large and small on a stage space what what's your experience recently is it you know because is it more led than projection at the moment or has it sort of rolling out oh you know i, I really think it depends on the circles you're playing in and the type of shows you're trying to produce um you know if you're looking at immersive you have to use projection LED does not work in an immersive environment because you're looking at the emitted light as opposed to it almost magically appearing there. Um, that's, that's definitely one of the things that I've taken away from the last 10, 15 years is know, know your products. You know, Understand why you put it in there. Don't just go, everybody else is using it. That's the product to use. It should very much be a case of, I want to use this product because. Um, if I look, yeah, yeah, going back to immersiveness, projection i don't think led has a place in there at all um all the shows i've worked on have all been projection and it's been the right choice um mm-hmm. we're doing you know i've got some corporate installations that are going at the minute in saudi arabia that i'm working with a few companies with and there is tons and tons of led wool and it's perfectly placed in all the right places and then you turn around and there's these you know almost like magic flying sheets that they've got and we're projecting onto them because to have those as LED, firstly, you couldn't make it or warp it um, to that image, but you'd have cables and electric cables and power cables running to it. So, so for me, it's definitely about picking the right product for the right job. Um, I think you know a, a perfect example for me would be the Sphere in Vegas with the U2 show. So they, I've, I've only seen videos. I haven't, I've not been lucky enough to see it in real life yet. Um, I didn't think it looked very good. You know, as a spectator, it might have been wow but am i watching you too or am i watching the sphere a big screen. You know, exactly exactly it's just a great big telly and i could probably do that almost as well in vr now um mm. and the intimate moments that they had it was so dark and there were so few lights because there was nowhere to put them because it was it would have been in the way of the projection and that was one of those things that i looked at and i think five or six years ago um or probably before meeting franco I'd have gone, that's properly cool. And since then, um, my opinion on how things look has very much altered um, in that it's put yourself in in the eyes of the spectator and don't just look at the wow, look at the why. Why are we doing it? What do they want to see? Yes, we've got a wow for a second, but then it is just a great big telly. Um, You know, I, I think that's... That's the way I view it. Um, you know, I'm sure there's thousands of people that would disagree and say bigger is better. Um, no, it's interesting because it, no, because it, yeah, like you said, once you've seen it, then content is content, and everybody's seen a lot of good content. So I think with the sphere, it's better on the outside 
than it is on the inside. And in that sense, like, if you're flying into Vegas and you see this big ball that's an eyeball, like, that's cool. And and it's a great iconic visual piece, but it costs so much money, Steve. Like, Like you said, I don't know what the, I do a lot of, budgets that talk about operational costs and yeah when i think about what the operational cost of that sphere might be it kind of makes me worry like they better be making a lot of money on it because it's expensive and my colleague who lives in vegas he he sent me a picture the other day so there's like a whole section of the led that was out on the outside as well so that's that's also not a good look Oh, I mean, it's a really risky business when your entire model is based on it all working all of the time. You yeah, know, it's, it doesn't look good when you get that blue screen of death, does it? <laughs> and now a note from our sponsor. The Theatre Art Life podcast is proud to be sponsored by Clearcom. Clearcom is the leader in voice communications for theatre and the performing arts. Call your cues with the simplicity and elegance of Clearcom Intercom Solutions. You can find them at C-L-E-A-R-C-O-M.com. Go check them out. Exactly, exactly. And you have a big, like, Windows screen as a big ball. <laughs> oh, when when we did infinity that that was um we had uh that was 40 meters by five meters so we had seven 4k outputs going to it and you'd walk in i that was more of a problem for me than the inside with what yeah. we had 130 projectors because one projector being out you can kind of cover for 10 seconds a whole big blue or black screen you you know you've got to make sure that you've got all of the redundancies in place to those so that with the second it does go black, you can swap over to a redundant source so that it isn't. Hundred percent. Um, that was always my biggest worry. Yeah, a lot of the things that, like, when you're doing an event or something, sometimes they don't have redundancies when you're setting up for a quick event, right? So, but that's a risky thing. Yeah. Like, if, <laughs> especially if like royalties yeah. there or it's a big gig, like it's it's not a good thing. A- anybody that has royalty present and doesn't have tons of redundancy or the ability to bake a problem you know if you know i'm a big fan of great everything hasn't got redundancy but what if you know if we lose projection what do we do smash all the lights on let's produce a look that looks great and vice versa what do we do if we lose the lighting console you know and we haven't got a backup there are Mm. budgets you know there are always budgetary constraints where you see that every now and again and it's a case of well let's build something then let's turn all the lights off and see what it looks like Let's turn the projection off and see what it looks like. Let's make some look pretty and at mm. least give us the ability to cover ourselves for those X number of seconds or minutes while we're doing a reboot, specifically when royalty are here. I mean, yeah. oh, it's oh, nigh on suicidal not, you know, to even imagine not having redundancies in place or plans in place um, mm. because, you know, they're just going to get up and walk out. They'll hate it. And that's not what you want. You know, it's not, and it's not good for your career either, right? You you got no. your name attached to it somewhere. You've got to yeah. make sure that if it does go bad, you can go. Oh, you spotted it, industry guy. Okay, normal person didn't spot it. Good, that's what we want. Yeah, you know, and that's that should always be the target, right? Produce something that's seamless, even if we're all losing our minds behind the scenes. Yeah, nobody outside, you know, nobody front half spots it, um, or in the audience spots it, uh, and if they do, hopefully they'll go. Oh, that was well covered. We know what happened, yeah. but good, good job, you know. Um, I think that's that's always nice to to be ready for things like that. 
Yeah, I remember we used to run a video called when I used to run the Beatles show in Vegas for Cirque du Soleil. They would have this. The the backstage activity was so busy that you couldn't really just if you had lost an act, you couldn't cut the act and sandwich the show to get too much going backstage, right? So we yeah. used to video all together now, which was like this animation on the screens for the two and a half minutes or however long we needed to cover to get ourselves to the next thing. And I always yeah. used to think the worst two and a half minutes of my life because it's just, you know, animation on a projection screen. And some people just thought that was the show, right? And they just totally... Yeah, ex- exactly. <laughs> I was like... Ex- oh. Exactly. But at that point, you, you've got to sit. You've got to sit back at that point and go, "This is well produced. We've got ourselves mm-hmm. out of a hole." And the audience, yeah, they might not enjoy those two and a half minutes, but the fact that they think that it's supposed to be there means it's been produced perfectly well, or you've covered it really well. Exactly. Um, you know, I think we've we've probably both been on on a stage inside the circus world where the the clowns go out on stage for ten minutes, and everybody sits there and goes, "What is going on?" Why are they now throwing popcorn at each other? One of them's just fallen in the pool. That wasn't by Why is he in the pool? Now we've got two problems to deal with. There's the person <laughs> upstairs that's stuck, and there's the sinking clown in the pool because he shouldn't have done that, but he has. Um, but the audience love it. You know, they they don't know that that isn't part of the act or the routine. So I think I think when you look at things like that, it's, it's fantastic if we can cover ourselves. You know, whether it's tech covering artists or artists covering tech, working as a singular team to produce something is just, it's magical to watch. Um, and then you sit in the debriefs and, yeah, everybody moans and, well, that shouldn't have happened. It shouldn't, but it did. How well did we get over it? You know, and I think if, we can, if you can sit there and go, the audience still had a great time, you can sit back and go, we've won, you know. Um, it's, hard, it's hard to say those things because nobody... Yeah, I mean, I always say, was it safe? And if the answer is yes, then I said, well, that's a good result, right? Like the rest is yeah, bonus. Exactly. <laughs> if we entertain the audience after that, it's great. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, and, and that's what you've got those characters for, right? That's why you have mm-hmm. the people you've got around you to be able to jump in and react, whether it be someone upstairs, someone in the pool, someone backstage, or even the guys on stage. They've just got to react. Um and that's a sign to how good and professional they are as well, I think. Oh, you see, sometimes you see the best, the clown's best work in those moments. <laughs> right, right. I, I completely agree. I did I did a job oh, middle of last year. I was up at Charge of Performing Arts Academy. So I was doing some work mm-hmm. with Jackie, who you had on recently. I um, did, yeah. And it was an easy, easy gig, Steve. We've got uh, 12 or 15 small performances to light about, 10, 15 minutes each, and they've been told it can't be technically complicated because we've only got two days to design it, program it, run it. Okay, mm-hmm. one kid came up and he gave me his script. And he said, don't you worry, I've noted everything out for you. I was like, right, what do you mean you've noted everything out? Well, I've given you all the cue points. I'm like, right, okay. I looked through it, there was 70 cues in 15 minutes across lighting, video, there were sound effects. And I'm <laughs> sat there. Honestly, I looked at it, and this is one of those career-defining moments for me. And I told him at the time, I was like, if I can pull this off, I'll remember it for the rest of my career and my life. <laughs> and I'm sat there. So I, we, we've rehearsed it, and I've screwed it up through both rehearsals because I'm reading it, I'm watching it, I'm trying to press the light and control. 
We're running QLab. There's projection screens going in and out. And there's just me sat in this control room. So, you know, I'm show caller. I'm lighting guy. I'm video guy. I'm sound guy. Uh, and I've got to watch the stage at the same time. And we start this rehearsal. We, we know it's full performance. And we get halfway through and I'm, go- I'm, I'm in the groove and I've got it. And I, I had a lighting cue that went with a video cue. And I hit, no, a lighting cue with an audio cue. And I hit the lighting cue. And I haven't read the audio cue bit. I jumped straight over it. And he sat there. And for him, it must have felt like 10 minutes he was sat on stage because his cue was the audio, not the lighting. And I looked at him and went, he hasn't moved. Oh, no, I haven't pressed go. I <laughs> jump over and hit the space bar. And then he came to me afterwards and he said, Steve, I was sat there for a long time. I was like, it could have been longer, mate, because I had to go back and reread it. I, like, I told you it was too complicated. Um, but he sat and he just waited. And then I was, I was just like, that was the wrong thing to do. You know, you could have ad-libbed around it. So we did the second performance the night after. And there was one slightly different part of, the, of his performance. And uh, I did the same thing, but backwards. I played the audio cue and I missed the lighting cue. And I looked up. Or I thought I'd hit it. And I was, you know, just ghosted the button. And I look up and his lights aren't on. So I hit it. And he's just he just walked out of his light. So I went back. And he stepped back to where he, and he was just playing with me at that point. And I was like, like <laughs> good, because the audience has got a reaction. The audience are absolutely crying because he's talking in the dark and then the light comes on and he jumped out of it. And it was almost <laughs> this, it was almost supposed to happen. It was yeah. so good. And I said to him afterwards, I was like, that is how you perform on stage. You take something and if you can turn it into comedy, given that you're delivering a comedy uh, sketch, play with it. And he said, can we do that every time we do this rehearsal? And I was like, what? Every time we do the run, uh, not sorry, the run, every time we do the performance, can you remember not to press the button? I'm like, probably not, no. We'll just busk it. Um, (laughs) And that's kind of what it turned into for three more performances. He didn't know what was going to happen. I didn't know if I was going to screw it up. And there was one I got perfect. And he came and went, I didn't like it. Why? He was like, there was no no slapstick to play with. It's like, God, so I've now got to purposely get it wrong so that you (laughs) have a better performance. The joys. These things happen, right? Live entertainment, you are not going to get everything right every single time. Um, mm. And you, you come off stage and you hate yourself for it. Um, and by off stage, my off stage is out of the control room. And I, you know, you kick yourself and it, it is what it is. You look at it and go, right, okay, I don't do the same thing tomorrow. Pick myself back up, brush it off. Let's go hit tomorrow's performance and try and nail it. Um, yeah. And when you know, you. You've been you've been around long enough, Anna. You'll know the same thing with thousands and thousands of performances under your belt. There's a few that you do look back at and go, oh, <laughs> "I wouldn't have done that today." Um, yeah, but it, again, it's just like growth, it, right? It's always growing and learning. Yeah, I always say to show callers when I used to teach them, like when you've made a mistake, the first thing you got to do is drop it and move on. Because like if you're sitting there beating up yourself and you're still trying to call a show, you're just going to make more, more mistakes, you know? And yeah. it's something I've even had to tell myself, like, drop it, move on, drop it, move on. It's okay, it's okay. And you have to, like, psychologically get out of that beating yourself up because you still got to concentrate for another 30, 40 minutes yeah. and fly other people in the air and do all that sort of stuff. And you can't be in that headspace where things are, you're not feeling good about yourself. It's, 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 it's a real sure. mental training. You've got to get yourself through, right? It's one of those, I will, I will keep this emotion inside of me until I get to the end of the show. And then I'll go away and do whatever I need to do. Scream into and a corridor. <laughs> yeah. 
exactly. Quick toilet trip, and everyone's like, oh, he's had a bad show. As soon as you walk past. Um, but it's what you've got to do. You've got to get yourself through. And it is, you know, you, we, I've seen it a numerous amount of times with different operators and uh, show people where they do snowball. And that's that moment where you, it's, for me, it's a, it's a big learning exercise for both the character, you know, whoever is operating and you know, almost me as a, as, as a manager to be able to go, how, how do I get them out of this? Sometimes yeah. you've got to jump in and take over. It's the only way. It's just be like, go and take five minutes. You're going to make it worse. I'll take over. Um, but the ones where you can just talk them through it and be like, hey, forget about it. Has mm. anybody died? No. Has yeah. anybody got injured? No. Was it that big of a drama? Probably not. Move on. We'll discuss it afterwards, and we'll try and find a way to stop it from happening again. You know, That's especially it. when you see, see the reoccurring things. Why is it reoccurring? Is it you're not good enough, or the show's too complex in the way that it's called? Can we make it easier? Um, mm. Can we, you know, but there's so much tech with us. How can we utilize the tech to make our jobs better? Can mm. we automate it a bit more? Um, yeah. And as soon as you start asking yourself these questions, you can make make it better for everybody, not just the operators that you've got now, but everybody that then follows them or the people that come in to train. You know, you get the, the green apprentice that wants to come and play for a few weeks and they go, oh, this is easy. Oh, it is now. It wasn't <laughs> three years ago. Now, let me give you an empty console and let's see how easy it is then, shall we? Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, processes are built I, over time. Oh, especially with like the corporate stuff. I see it a lot now. Now, I walk in with a show file in my pocket for an MA that I've had for nearly 20 years, and it's constantly getting built and developed. So I know where every screen is and every button is on every screen. And they're walking, oh, this is really easy. Well, okay, well, let's, let's start with a new show, shall we? You think this is as easy <laughs> as you think it is? You're massively, massively wrong. Um, mm. And it's that, you know, it's that then growing them and look, getting them to learn that, well, yes, your main show is this easy. Let's do some corporate work. You know, let's start from a blank. Let's do some training of how we build shows out, how we, what we're looking for. It might look nice, but can we improve it? You know, those little elements that I think for me grow, grow me as a person, but also grow the people that are around us. Um, mm. And in this, you know, in this world, in this particular region of the UAE, it's very, very junior. Um, you know, I, I refer to the UAE quite a lot as a, it's like a, an adolescent teenage, you know, it's, She's she's fighting me constantly because it wants to be better. Yeah, I have also termed the UAE as like a teenager, to be yeah. honest. So I'm funny that you say the same thing. Yeah. Right, but I've, I've been I've been doing a lot of work in Saudi uh, recently, and you know the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia is a fantastic part of the world. But that's that's the toddler. It wants to be running, but it's struggling to walk. And I've got a 16 month old at the minute. And I see his frustration when I do something and he wants to do it, and he gets really angry about it. And eventually he'll get it. And Saudi Arabia feels like that's doing that. Um, but a little bit, you know, it's almost on steroids. Um, they do a lot really well, uh, but they're constantly trying to fight to be the biggest and the best, but they haven't got that skill set around them yet. Um, so it's going to be really interesting watching that space inside the GCC mm-hmm. over the next next 10, you know, probably the next decade, 15 years of how it develops and learns to grow. Um, and how it becomes a little bit more mature in its knowledge base. You know, it's all well and good mm-hmm. saying there's all the money. We've got a workflow. You know, there's a process that needs to happen. 
Um, mm. And if you skip it, you're going to struggle somewhere, you know. Um, but that's down to us to teach them, right? And make them oh, understand 100%. why we and do it. And it's the foundation, the foundations that, you know, like you said, I, I don't believe you master any part of this industry for at least 10 to 15 years anyway, right? So you can't sort of rock in and go, yep, let's let's be ready to do all of these things. It's something that that accumulates over time. You don't master these yeah. things. Mastery is is literally what it says. You have to master something before you can be really good at all, all of that, and that, that doesn't come overnight. And so, yeah. yeah. But I have to ask because uh, it's my uh, the last few questions and we're running out of time. What's your most yeah. favourite thing about the job or your or the industry? Oh, this is a really difficult question because I've got a 1,000. Um, I love it. I absolutely love getting up and going to work every single day. Um, I always, you know, and I think it it stems back to watching someone like Franco, who is a master or was a master, working on stage and him walking and having fun. And he got, yeah, he might have been angry and he might have, you know, thrown his toys out the pram sometimes, but he he always had fun. And I remember just playing and sitting on stage and it was the first time in my that was almost like a career defining moment for me sitting on that stage and then just saying i don't care what you show me just show me something i don't care if i hate a hundred things and i'd hate everything all day just keep showing it me and mm. it was fun and i enjoyed it and i'd go to bed like exhausted and and that's what i love about the industry we go in and we work really hard and we produce what we produce to the best of our ability and then we do the same again every single day and every day is different and it it's fun i i i really enjoy it um and the you know, always ch- ever changing tech helps us as creators mm. constant we're constantly playing because people keep giving us new toys and while That's i'm right. getting new toys to play with i'm gonna push it to its absolute limit what can we do with it you know a, a manufacturer says we can do this and that's my limit. I'm going to try and get it past that and do something <laughs> that nobody's seen before. Um, and I think I think that that's the bit for me is that and you know, seeing once we've done that, the fun bit, seeing the reaction of everybody walking out and going, you know, no matter what it is, you know, whether it's lighting a dolphin show or a presentation that is very natural, all the way to something as crazy as, you know, a, a Cirque show or a Franco show, all of those elements and everything in between. It's playing and having fun. Mm. I think that's uh, one of the gifts that Franco definitely bestowed on people if you got the opportunity to work with him is that ability to create as a collective group of people no matter where you who you yeah. work you know artists and technicians and and designers and everybody that and it's something that I carry very close to my heart when we do projects because that's something that is it, it's irreplaceable that kind of energy to do that so the other question um, i had was yeah. sorry go ahead yeah you just you wanted to finish no, no, your thought i was just just going to say that the, the 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 phrase the phrase for me and i'm not i'm not going to say the full phrase but I, I can do it in a word shake the second you say that and somebody's worked around someone like franco you immediately go yeah and i walk into every environment now and i'll scream that phrase at the top of my lungs and that's what we'll do for the next 10 minutes to an hour. Just play and see what that's we can it. do. And it, it, you know, it makes everybody's day better. Well, everybody knows my, my sort of Franco saying because I remember once in the creation that I did, 
somebody told him that's impossible and he turned around to them and he said prove it (laughs) (laughs) so now whenever somebody anybody says something to me it's impossible in my head i have franco's voice going prove it (laughs) prove it yeah yeah i I bet you pulled it off as well no, I tell you, I'll tell you that story another time. But I definitely, we definitely yeah. proved that it was possible, and um, and so I always, it, it's a good reminder of um, pushing the boundaries, which he was wonderful at Abs- for sure. Abs- absolutely, absolutely. So yeah. you're saying that you had another question? Yeah, my other final question is: if you could change one thing about your job or the industry, what would it be? Oh, again, there's probably a thousand, and I think there is. There's a lot of change to happen, especially when I look at it from a Middle East point of view. I think the one thing that I really want to change is getting more local talent, finding more local talent, teaching it, um, and getting them to a point where they appreciate it the same way that I do or my team does, in that you don't just walk into a job like this. You've really got to have a passion for it, and then you've got to work at your passion. Um, It's all well going... All well and good saying, I've got a degree, I'm great. Mm. I personally strongly disagree with that statement. The first day you actually start to learn is the day you get your degree. And you, that's day number one for me in this industry. Mm. Um, you might have a lot of theory, but that's not practical. Um, that's right. Necessarily, you know. Um, but being able to get some raw talent and helping them grow to produce some something that's, you know, just out of this world, you know, being able to nurture that inside of this region I think is really important and I'd love to change it because at the minute everybody's flown in you know there's very few world-class people in this part of the world at the minute um but I think it's got the ability to have some of the most phenomenally um gifted people uh because they, they look at the world very differently um mm. and I think having that inside of the industry is going to be fundamental moving us forwards um globally you know not just regionally being able to produce somebody that can see something so differently to the way that i see it being a westerner and then be able to then transition that globally i think is going to be fantastic but there isn't a big push for it that we see at the minute you know i know charge performing arts academy is doing an amazing job um i do a lot of work with them and you know or, or pushing their their programs um yeah but it's only it's only one you know we need to expand on that uh and then real world environment you know getting them out not just sitting behind a desk and doing some theory like you know get them to come and play with people like me that are in the field doing it constantly and put them under pressure you know break them you know let you know let's not worry about the you know the snowflakeness of the world let's really push these people to see what they've got because that's where magic happens In, in my opinion based on what i've done over the years um yeah. just just getting just being able to do that i think is going to be a game changer um and it'd be good for the, the industries uh the industry and the region right being able uh, to give back absolutely. to the region that has given so much to me i think is is important amazing thank you so much steve it was such a pleasure to spend some time with you today on the podcast yes, i wish you all the best too. for your business and hope to see you in dubai soon yeah definitely shout when you're here we'll um we'll definitely catch up wonderful thank you steve Amazing, thanks. Have a great day. Theatre at Life is a global media site for entertainment. Memberships start at only 38 US dollars per year. 
you can have unlimited access to our daily published articles, including entertainment news and the writings of active industry professionals, ensuring that you are always up to date on the global happenings in the world of entertainment. Become a part of the international entertainment community and join us now at www.theaterartlife.com.